You're listening to Keep the Main Thing, the Main Thing podcast. To learn more, visit thepineschurch.com. Welcome everyone to the Pines Church online experience. My name is Matt Joy. I am the lead pastor here at the Pines, and I am so honored and excited that you decided to spend the next 25 minutes and change with us as we study God's Word. For those of you who are joining us for the very first time, we are in the middle of a series titled Identities, Your Origin Story. And last week we talked about the fear of the Lord and how fear isn't to be afraid of God, but rather to have a reverential awe. Reverence and awe is another way that that word can be defined. Two words that we don't often hear in our modern day vernacular. Yet as you study scripture, you realize that there were words that the Hebrews reserved just to describe God. But in a, in a plan um, to minimize God in our lives, the enemy has dumbed down words, which is why God can be awesome and our cheeseburger can be awesome. So we don't have any words in our English language that are just reserved for uh, describing God. Therefore, we become casual in our view of God and we miss out on the majesty and the glory. Now you may be asking, Matt, I thought you said this was identities, your origin story or my origin story. That's true. But in order to be able to explain your origin story, we have to go to the one that created you because we were made in his image and likeness. So in order to be able to understand who you are, you have to understand who he is. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be unpacking and we could spend the next few years unpacking who God is and never even scratch the surface, but I'm going to do my absolute best to bring an introduction of who God is in relationship to our lives. And so we talked about reverence. We talked about that awe. That's the filter we must have, the lens we must have in approaching God, in understanding God, in seeing God. And there's another word that we're going to introduce today, a word that is all throughout Scripture, a word that gets tossed around in the church, but when you, when you kind of press on people and ask them to define that word, they really don't have a firm grasp or understanding. So you could say this word has been dumbed down as well by the enemy, by man, but it's a very important word in the way that we approach God, and that is holiness. Because the one attribute that's listed above all other attributes is God's holiness. And so what is holiness? Why is holiness important to understand? We're going to be diving into that today. And to do that, to open it up, I'm going to start with a quote from A.W. Tozer. Are you ready for this? Left to ourselves, we tend immediately to reduce God to manageable terms. I'm going to read that again. Left to ourselves, our podcasts, our sermons, our minds, our theories, our books, we tend immediately, there's that word, immediately 
to reduce God to manageable terms. This is one of the things that we talked about last week. God does not fit inside of your box. Far too long, okay, we have settled for small answers to large questions. And I believe it's why many are leaving the faith or deconstructing their faith, so to speak. But it's hard to deconstruct something that you've never laid the foundation for. And the Bible is our foundation, so that's why I use air quotations. But many are leaving the faith because they've been spoon-fed these shallow and small answers to an infinite God that has no beginning, that has no end, that has words that are just reserved for Him who is holy, who is other, and we have a shallow understanding. Therefore, because we don't understand God, we don't understand ourselves, we don't understand the environment and the world that we live in, so we go to find other things. A.W. Tozer also said that every single one of us has a God-shaped hole, and no amount of sex, status, or stuff will ever be able to satisfy that longing. Only a relationship with our Creator. And in order to have a relationship with our Creator, we must have a proper view of who He is in relationship to who we are. And so, to define the word holiness, we're going to go all the way back to when the Hebrews wrote it, okay? And their word for holy was Kadash. And I'm probably butchering that, not Kadashian, but Kadash, okay? Which means this, to be set apart, to be distinct, to be unique, to be different. So the definition of holiness is to be set apart. Now, as I started to do research and, and I read different concordances and, and different theologians' uh, papers on this word, I, I found something uh, that a lot of older writers, I'm talking they've been dead for a hundred years, like the 1800s or very, very, very early 1900s, they used a certain word um, to define God's holiness that I don't hear talked about a lot in the church. I don't see, uh, I don't read a lot about in the church. And so I'm going to use this word because I think it perfectly illustrates, um, it gives you another angle of God's holiness. And so I'm going to go ahead and, and jump into it. It's, it's, it's this. The one word that I found that best expresses um, to, to explain the holiness of God is the total otherness. Of God. God is totally and completely other. Okay? Other, once we, and once we see that, everything else that Revelation tells us about God makes perfect sense and fits into its place. So, what do I mean by otherness? Okay? How does holiness and otherness? Well, it explains it like this. That God doesn't fit inside of your box of science. God does not fit inside your box of philosophy. God does not sit inside of your box of chemistry. He does not sit inside of your box of math. He is outside of those things. There's no dimension, uh, width, or height that you can use to fully grasp the concept of God. He is outside of time. He created time. There's no beginning and there is no end. So he is other than us. 
this is kind of a crude definition of that word, but uh, I was reading a particular author, and he was talking about, this will help you understand the otherness. Um, I don't have to tell you, but if you've ever been to a red box or to a grocery store, like people are obsessed with horror movies. It's kind of weird, right? It's creepy. I hate, by the way, how they put uh, the horror movies at the bottom of Redbox. I know nobody goes to Redbox anymore, but there's still Redboxes there. So when my little kids are coming out, all the Annabelle or Conjuring 8 or whatever are always at kid level, and it frustrates the heck out of me. Or when they're selling, selling uh, you know, Michael Myers' Halloween movie, it's always right at the candy uh, checkout place. It's like, I got to explain to my kids like who Annabelle is, and I don't go into, you know, I just say, ah, that's creepy, don't look at it. But they always position those things so my kids can see them. I, I absolutely can't stand that. But there's a fascination. People are drawn to these movies. Now, at first glance, you may say they're drawn um, to blood and to gore, and there may be some truth in that. But ultimately, studies have been done. What they're really attracted to in these movies is something that science cannot explain. It's something that their world and their environment cannot explain. It is something that is other than human. It is something that is other than the human experience. So where does a ghost come from? Where, where, is it in another realm? Something that we haven't quantified or been able to discover yet. It is outside of everything we know. Well, God is other. He is outside of everything we have explored and come to research. And so it's important to understand that, that God is holy, he is set apart, there is none like him, he is completely and distinctly unique, he is other. So let's look at scripture. Okay, the Bible says in 1 Samuel 2.2, there is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. So there's no one like God. There's never going to be anybody like God. There was never anybody like God. There's not anybody like God. There will never be anybody like God. God is set apart. God is unique. God is distinctly different. God is holy. Isaiah 40, 25 says it like this. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him? Hosea 11.9 says it like this, I am God, not a man, the Holy One in your midst. God is not like man. God created man in his image and likeness, but he is not man. He is set apart. He is other. But, as we read in Leviticus and 1 Peter, the Bible charges us, it commands us to be holy as he is holy. How can we be other as he is other? But yet that's the invitation set before us. Hebrews 12.4 puts it beautifully like this. Pursue holiness without which no one is going to see the Lord. Now, when I used to read that scripture, I, I, I kind of read it at face value. I need to pursue holiness or I'm not going to see God. And so 
I certainly believe that it means that, but through the years, I believe that the Holy Spirit has expanded my view of this scripture. If we, as the body of Christ, if we as the church, if we as the household of God, don't pursue holiness, then the world isn't going to see the Lord. Because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. We cannot see in the flesh the Holy Spirit. And so often, our, what we're called to be ambassadors of Christ. And often, our lives are the only Bibles that people are going to read. So we can't kind of fake this. We must go to the source so that we can be ambassadors of God. Ephesians, okay. I want to I highlight that, though, before I go to Ephesians. Okay, it says, pursue holiness without which no one is going to see the Lord. What does that word pursue mean, right? How do you, how do you pursue something? What exactly are you asking me, inviting me, championing me, commanding me to do, right? We should ask that question. Well, pursue can be defined as this, to chase after with the intent to apprehend. So in other words, as we chase after God, as we pursue God, we're not doing it just to get a glimpse. We're doing it to apprehend, to come into his presence, to behold him, to be in awe of him. Because Ephesians 1, 4 says this, he chose us, he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, not that we would be holy, not that we could be holy, but that we should be holy, and without blame before him. This idea of God's holiness, of God's otherness, this idea that God has invited us, challenged us, commanded us to pursue him and to be holy as he is holy is a mystery. It's not something that we can fully grasp and wrap our heads around. And that's okay. It's okay that God, we have to approach him in faith. That's God's love language. It's impossible to please God without it. And so we must move forward in faith in believing the mystery of God, the one that stands outside of time. And when we try to put compartmentalize and put God in this God-shaped box and then pedal it out to the masses, it's ultimately going to leave people empty. Why? Because we've robbed them of the majesty and the glory, the mystery and the holiness, the otherness of God. And we've denied them the opportunity to be able to explore the width, the depth, the height of God's holiness which he clearly invites us into. So in other words, we're inviting people into the kiddie pools in church, into the shallow, when God is calling us out into the deep. I want to read this quote from John Piper. In the end, God is holy. In that, he is God, not man. He is incomparable. His holiness is his utterly unique divine essence. It determines all that he is and does and is determined by no one. His holiness is what he is as God, which no one else is or will ever be. 
Call it his majesty, his divinity, his greatness, his value as the pearl of great price. In the end, language runs out. In the word holy, we have sailed to the world's end in the utter silence of reverence and wonder and awe. I love that. I love that last statement. There may yet be more to know of God, but that will be beyond words. What a beautiful quote. What a beautiful way to look at God's holiness. And I love that he used those three words, reverence, wonder, and awe. That's what we talked about last week. The reverential fear of the Lord is the way that we must approach God. And beyond that, there simply are no words. But when we try to define God, when we try to dumb him down to our vernacular, when we try to dumb him down to the 20 minutes that we have in front of people, we're doing an incredible injustice and disservice. Because, because, oh, there's so much, because the one attribute that's listed above all other attributes, that the seraphim cry out night and day is holy, holy, holy. Think about this. In Revelation, as it's recorded, the seraphim, they're covered in eyes and they're covered in wings. And they just behold God. And every second, a new facet of his, his, his character, his righteousness is revealed. And the only thing that they can say is holy. Okay? They're not looking for a time out. They're not saying, I've been doing this for a thousand years. I'd like to go explore other parts of the universe. No, they are standing in front of the one that created the universe. And the only thing that they can say in response to what they are seeing, which no living thing has ever seen before, is holy. They've exhausted language. There's nothing else they can say beyond that word. So words have meaning. And we must understand the meaning of those words. We must explore the definitions of those words. And then we must step into the mystery of who God is in order to be able to understand who we are. See, a low view of God... A casual view of God, a small and shallow view of God will always result in a low, shallow, casual view of yourself and your brothers and sisters. So how do we become holy? How do we pursue holiness? I want to leave you with this word. All throughout scripture, here's another word you'll find. Behold. Okay? What does it mean to behold? Like we read that scripture, but when was the last time that you used it in, you know, your, at the workplace or with your friends? We don't often use that word, so we don't really understand what that word means. It's defined as this, to look or direct your eyes towards a central point. But you know what? Theologians say that that definition is workable in most contexts, but in many others, these words lack sufficiency, weight, and dignity. So, in, so what, what many theologians go on to explain that it behold, to behold something, to behold someone, isn't simply to look at and to direct our eyes and our ears towards, but it's rather to retain and, and, man, retain and maintain. So in other words, to, to, to retain to take in and then to maintain, to keep it, 
to pursue. Remember what pursue meant? To go after something with, with the goal of apprehending it. So this is to go after, to grab, and to retain it, and to maintain it. To maintain the reverence, the holiness, the awe of God. And as we behold God, we become like God. Holiness isn't a product of your good works or pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. You, bootstraps. you cannot pursue holiness in your own strength. It is a product of God's redemptive grace moving in your life, taking you beyond what you're capable of in the natural, beyond what you're capable of with your education and your intellect and your gifts. It doesn't even come from you. It comes from Him. And as we behold Him, as we posture our hearts in reverence, in awe of God, we become like Him. So the question is, what are you beholding? What are your eyes feasting on? What are your ears feasting on? What is your spirit being fed? Because ladies and gentlemen, I would say take personal inventory. Paul says to take personal inventory, to remove those things that are not of God, but to pursue the kingdom of God and all those things will be added to you. But as we pursue Christ, we become like him. I'm going to leave you with this. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, but we all with unveiled faces, okay? We're seeing beyond the shallow God presented in a box. We're entering into the mystery with reverence and awe, with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, listen to this, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Mark this scripture. Go study this scripture for yourself. 2 Corinthians 3.18, New King James Version. Go study it. As we behold him, it's like we're looking in a mirror and we become like him. That's how we pursue holiness. That's how we become who God intended us to be. I hope that you got something out of this. Until next time, Godspeed. Thank you so much for listening to Keep the Main Thing the Main Thing, a sermon resource provided by the Pines Church in Bangor, Maine. We'd love to hear from you, so leave us a review on this podcast. If you have any questions, visit thepineschurch.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.